I uh, want to welcome you if you're a first-time guest. Um, you know, we're glad you're here. We just had a couple of our sisters that I've known for, oh my, uh, 30-some years uh, sitting up here in the front from Taiwan. They just arrived, so they're a little jet-lagged. They might be snoring before I'm done, but, uh, but we're glad that they're here and they're going to be with us for a week and, and uh, enjoying our time. So if you haven't met them, you'll have opportunity after service. Neither of them are bashful, so that's good. Um, so I'm going to ask you a question, and I'm going to ask you to turn to somebody and uh, give the answer to somebody else in just, uh, just a moment. So the question is this. Uh, in Tagalog, they say, Tagasanka, uh, and in English, it's, where are you from? So I'm going to just ask you to look at someone close to you and ask them that question. Where are you from? And then they're going to ask you the same thing. Okay, do that right now. <clears throat> about you. Where are you from? Are you from here? Are you? Okay. Okay. Hey, whoa, 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 whoa. I didn't ask you to tell them your life story. Just, just, where are you from? Very, very, very simple question. That's right. You guys are from a lot of places. That's uh, how you went through that. Okay. There are typically four responses that people give to that question. Um, one is kind of where their ori- origination of their family, where their family is from. They're from, you know, the old country or they're from, you know, my parents are originally from Nebraska or wherever, you know, that kind of thing. So that the from has to do with our heritage or it has to do with where we were born or spent, and spent maybe the early parts of our life or the, a significant time of what we remember because sometimes those are not the same, where we were born and where we grew up, right? Okay. And, uh, or where we currently live, our current address. Those are the four ad, uh, uh, responses that we typically get when we ask people that. Where are you from? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to poll you. How many of you said where your clan is from or where your origination is of your family, your family tree, that kind of thing? Okay, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. Okay, there's several of you. So how many of you said where you were born, uh, the place you were born? Okay, there's a few more here. Probably, I'm going to guess, close to 20 or so of you. Uh, how many of you said the place where you consider yourself from because you spent the, probably the richest part of your life, you know, in that particular locale? All right, we've got, oh, we've got a solid dozen there on that one. And how many of you gave your address or you said where you're from right now, where you live right now? Okay, so four, five, six... Uh, I saw somebody raise their hand twice. You can't do that. That's, yeah, that's right. Yeah, you can. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I'm going to get to the fact that you can. So uh, the reason that's a confusing question is because uh, number two or three reasons. Uh, number one is is uh, we kind of tether ourselves to a particular period of of life, our life, or the origination of that, and it's a hard question for a lot of people to answer because the idea of home or place. Um, is difficult. Some people will give multiple answers, just as you said, you can't answer that, uh, because they have, they give the different answers in different contexts, depending on how it applies uh, best for them. But it's kind of interesting that many people can't immediately respond to that, because we live in a culture, particularly now, that's highly more mobile than what it was 50 or 100 years ago. Uh, people live in, well, like Marlene and I, we've lived in three different countries, and 
we've lived in several states here in the United States as well. And, and uh, so we've bounced around and been around. And so that's a, a difficult thing even for my children to uh, answer because they've lived overseas and they've lived here. And uh, they've done a little bit of that. Uh, I remember when President uh, Barack Obama was president, somebody asked him that question, where are you from? And he said, what do you mean? Isn't that interesting? That's the, the president of the most prestigious or powerful or whatever you want to call it country in the world uh, can't answer that specific question. You know, and you get looking at it. His father was from Kenya. His, he was born in Indonesia. Uh, his mother was an American, that, and he grew up and spent most of his growing up years in Hawaii. His brother-in-law is Chinese that lives in Canada, and, uh, and he's lived in multiple places in his own life. So it was difficult for him to answer that. There's an issue we have with the idea of home or place. And um, some people, frankly, it doesn't matter where they've been from, they never feel at home. I talk to people all the time when I say, what is home to you? And I've, I can't tell you the number of people said, I don't really feel like I've ever fit anywhere I've been or I've, I've never been in a place where I feel as though I were kind of tethered and, and in a community that was uh, significantly part of, of uh, my life. And I, you know, I tell people frequently, I say, you know, that's kind of the biblical motif that we see over and over again through the pages of Scripture. We really do. Um, there's a word that, uh, that a lot of people don't uh, use very frequently here in English, but it's called peripatetic. I'm not sure if you've ever heard that word, but um, Jesus was peripatetic. That means he, he probably could have answered that uh, question a few ways, that he was from Bethlehem. Well, he's from Nazareth. They, were, they called him from Nazareth, but he'd spent some of his growing up years in Egypt in another country, etc. And then when he was an adult, he really we don't even know really where he stayed all that long. It says they returned to Galilee, but it never said that that was a particular home for him. When Jesus came, and there was, a, there was a reason, I believe, that that was the case. But the same is true with all the people in the Old Testament. All the great prophets, the people that were used of the Lord, they were peripatetic themselves. They were from little places, usually. Uh, yeah, Jeremiah was from a place called Anathoth. Uh, you have uh, Elijah was from Tishba, which was a small, small little burg. Uh, no longer exists. Hard to find on the archaeological map. It was in Gilead, which is up north in, uh, in Israel. Marley and I have been there several times to Israel, but you, know, you won't see a monument to him necessarily in that town. You'll see it in other places where he supposedly, um, you know, the specific mountain that they think it is where he took on the prophets of Baal and the prophets of Ashtra. Uh, you have the same thing with Micah. Micah is from a place called Abel Morasheth. You can't find that on the map. It's a little place. But these people ministered all over the place. Um, you have uh, Mehola is, is the place that uh, Elisha was from, another great prophet. Daniel and Ezekiel, two of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament, they were born in Babylon, and they never considered Babylon their home. They, they would pray when they'd get up in the morning, and they would face where? Jerusalem. They, they felt like they were uh, displaced from the place, and their prophesying, and most of their prophecies had to do with God restoring or redeeming or helping the people of Israel in a sense, to find their place. You have the greatest people in the, in the pages of the Old Testament, Abraham. It's kind of interesting that Abraham, God told him, I want you to leave your place, leave your family, leave your country, and go to the place I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation. Those people who bless you, I will bless, and those people who curse you, I will uh, curse, and all nations will be blessed through you. 
And so he went, and it's very appropriate for people to say, well, where did he land? Because he didn't really land anywhere. He was in uh, several places in the land of Canaan uh, through his time, through his life. And uh, it tells us something very interesting um, in, in uh, Acts of the Apostles. In, the, in chapter 7, verse 5, there's a, a little story there where um, the people are getting ready to stone Stephen. Have you ever read that passage? Uh, okay, eight of you have. For the rest of you, uh, don't see a lot of nods there on that. Uh, so Stephen was a, a, an apostle. He was a, a prophetic person speaking on behalf of the Lord and, and ministering in a significant way uh, to the people. And, and the Lord took him home. He was really the first martyr of the church. And he gave a, a long kind of uh, expose on what God was doing in the people of Israel up until this time and when Jesus came, what Jesus came to do and, uh, and the rejection of the people of Israel. And as a result of that, of him claiming Jesus as the Messiah, they ended up stoning him. In the course of his conversation in chapter 7, verse 5, he says something interesting about Abraham. He said, God called him out of his land and sent him to a place where he did not inherit one foot of ground. But he said that promise was to his descendants, those to follow him. That's what he says. He didn't inherit anything. Uh, he was very well known, he was rich, he was powerful in that particular region, but there was no place that he could call home there. And you have the same thing with Moses. Moses is a person who was raised in Egypt, and we know he was raised in the household of Pharaoh, and, and uh, he had Jewish parents, but, uh, and they fortunately were able to work this kind of thing and take care of their own child for a season, and, but then he ended up working in the courts as, uh, as the, the next inheritor of the throne there in Egypt. But yet, where was Moses from, and where would he consider home? Even though God had called him to take the people out of Egypt, which he was not Egyptian, he was in there. It's very similar to the story of Joseph. We could tell that story. And he went from uh, a rural area of Canaan, went, was uh, a prisoner from the Midianites, and ended up being deposited in, in Rome, and, or in Rome, in, under Pharaoh's care in Egypt, and uh, at the center of Egypt. I don't know where Rome came in there. Oh, they were roaming. That's what they were doing. <laughs> but, um, but he ends up uh, having this promise that he's going to take the people out of this land and take them to a land flowing with milk and honey, and God was going to show them this place. And Moses never made it there, but the people did. It's very similar to the story of Abram. He didn't inherit a foot of ground. I could keep going in the Old Testament. Let's just skip to the New Testament. And, uh, and Jesus called 12 disparate people to leave nets or tax collector booths or whatever they were to leave and to follow him. He was going to make them fishers of men. And from the moment they left their nets until they died, they never settled in anywhere. Did you know that? Does it, we don't have any record that any of the 12 ever ended up going back to Galilee where they were called and lived there for any extensive period of time. Instead, we know Matthew, uh, and I know that because that's my name, uh, Matthew ended up going to uh, modern-day Persia, and, uh, or ancient Persia, I should say, and ended up uh, dying, we know, in Ethiopia. That's a long time. That's way down in Africa. So he went 
He went east and then he went south after he came back. Uh, we know that Philip ended up in Achaia. We know that Peter and Paul were in Rome. We don't know if they both perished there. Um, history has it and experts have said that they probably did in that particular area. You have Thomas that ended up going all the way to India and they celebrate him as a kind of the native patron saint of, of India in Goa. Uh, on the west coast of, of India, and there's a lot of records that kind of would say that Thomas made it that far, etc. And I could go on and on and on. Um, y y we have Thaddeus that ended up going up to Armenia, which is in the, in the old Soviet Republic, and he ended up dying in what would be modern-day Iran. These people were all over the place. One of them landed in Aeropolis, which is up in Asia Minor, they were all over the place when they died. And you have all the way through the Old Testament and the New Testament uh, people that are called to do ministry all over the place, and in a sense they have no home. Are you with me? And yet there's never been anybody like those people who were more at home than any other person on the planet. I mean, they became rooted in the place where they were, Jesus was the center of their life. They finally realized that, uh, that just as I have been with you, Jesus said to them in John chapter 14, he says, when the Holy Spirit, when the other comforter comes, he will be in you. And so all of a sudden, the concept of home shifted for those people. They didn't understand it initially because Jesus had been with them all of those years, and then he uh, died and he rose again. He spent uh, some time with them. He ascended up into heaven. And, um, and after, right before he ascended, he's talking to the disciples, and you, you can see this in chapter 1 of the Acts of the Apostles. Right before he ascends, they ask him one final question. What was it? Was it the secret to what was going on in the Garden of Eden and what the fruit was that was on that tree? Or did they ask about what the greatest sin of all sins is or, or what, uh, what the key was for his, in his relationship with the Father? No. Guess what they asked? They said, is it at this time, he, he talked about it, he's going to say, is at this time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And what did Jesus respond Jesus gave him what we would call a peripatetic response or prophetic message. He said in verse 8, he says, he says, it's not for you to know, this is verse 7, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has set. But then he says this, this is really his answer to them. When the Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses, and guess where he says? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. They were focusing on place and Jesus was focusing on home not being outside of them, but inside of them. And so we've got some scripture that will, uh, is kind of revealing in this regard. And, uh, and I'll, I'll read it, and you can kind of read along with me here. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate or a comforter or a helper to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. So that's our comforter that he's going to give. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. That's the verse I was referencing. A new concept of home for these people is coming. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So he's talking about his return. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I li live. You also will live. 
On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will too, too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, but the other one, because there were a couple of Judases there. Uh, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? And then Jesus says this. Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father, so this is for a person who loves the Lord, called to his purpose and serving him. And he shifts the whole concept of home here. He says, my Father will love them. And we, who's he talked about in this chapter? How did he start this chapter? In my Father's house are many rooms. Don't be troubled. Don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house you know, are many rooms or mansions, whatever you want to use in your translation there, that, uh, that God is preparing the Father. And I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's about Jesus. And then he says, I'm sending you another, another, holy, uh, another advocate or comforter, and that's who? The Holy Spirit. And what does he do? He brings it all together, and he mentions the concept of home, a new revised way of understanding place. He says, my Father will love them, and we, uses that pronoun, the only time that he uses that for the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit together uh, in the, in the uh, Gospel of John up to this point. We will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. Um, so in this passage, the idea or the concept of home which is probably that which we think about, that's where our identity is, that's where our culture comes from, that's where when we think of home, we think about our people, uh, our place, the place where we fit, and what Jesus is saying here, and what is demonstrated by all the prophets in the Old Testament, and all the apostles in the New Testament, and Jesus had to re-clarify to them right before he ascended into heaven, he's trying to remember that home is not an address for those of us who are serving him. Because home becomes the habitation for the Lord. We actually become the, at home with the Lord because the Lord is at home with and in us. Are you with me? And so you have people do phenomenal things, give up everything in their life to go to other places because they're not tethered to... You have people that are willing to risk and sacrifice significant issues in their life because their security isn't in a place. It's not in a locale. It's not with a specific group of people or any of that. You'll see that kind of thing over and over because home is where the Lord directs us. And when we're doing his will, whether it's here or there or anywhere, um, we're doing his will and therefore we should be the people who are most at home. So I was, uh, we, will make, we will come and make our home. Isn't that interesting? I didn't say that. Jesus did. We will make our home with him, with her, with you, and with me. Remember when I went to, uh, to when Marlene and I uh, first went to the Philippines, I was uh, ministering in a church here. Church was growing. It was thriving. We were satisfied. I was happy. And then the Lord called us to go over there. I never had any interest in being a missionary, but I think I shared a little bit of that story with you a handful of weeks ago. The Lord made it very clear that we were supposed to go to the Philippines. 
So we went out of obedience to the Lord. And I remember we got there and I didn't understand the culture, didn't understand the language. And I, I did so many embarrassing things. It was humiliating to me. I mean, I, I did, uh, we had a pastor come over and I did six things that you should not do in the Philippines. They're perfectly okay here. But I did some really embarrassing things. I asked the person if they were hungry, we were just sitting down to eat. And they said they were, no, they were already full. Well, I didn't find out until later that they hadn't eaten all day, but that's just a conventional response, is you tell people you're full, right? Busogna, right? You just uh, say that. So, so we said, well, you could kind of you know, just sit with us and, and enjoy. So he was hungry, but he watched us eat the <laughs> meal because I didn't know the culture that you put food down in front. And I did, I did five more things like that. And that person left and went away. This is in our first or second week of being, it was just really early, wasn't it? Just one or two weeks in. And uh, the person went and told the superintendent of the conference at the time, said, I don't ever want to see that missionary again. He's the rudest person I've ever met. And uh, by the way, just to follow that up, I did learn, and that pastor and I are very, very close friends now. His name is Manny Manongsong. He's a very good friend of mine, and we have communicated lots, and we've helped him plant churches and and done all those. So we are good friends now. Uh, The Lord has healed all that. But I remember going out that night and uh, walking on this road in West Triangle, Quezon City, and I was... I was just saying, God, I can't do this. I am not at home. And as I was praying, I looked up. I thought, it's the same moon. Those are the same stars. There's the Big Dipper. There's the Little Dipper. It's still God's world. And the Lord conveyed to my heart, you are at home. You are where I called you. You are where I will empower you. You're always at home. And for every believer, it should be that way. We should never feel displaced. I was preaching the very first church we pastored. It was down in Beaverton, Oregon. Yeah, when you were not born or just barely born or not born, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, you were somewhere in there. Yeah, I was, uh, her, pa- her parents uh, pastor, Elaine, is... Uh, parents pastor for a while and I was pastoring with another pastor there and I would preach we kind of traded preaching duties every week and I remember preaching I did a series for a month long and there was a woman who had just come to know the Lord she's a businesswoman in the Portland area and uh, and you know always dressed really nice drove a Mercedes Benz nice car and all this kind of thing and and uh, um, you could tell that she was a professional, the way she behaved, her mannerisms, her vocabulary, and all those kinds of things. And, and uh, so she came to church, and she would sit right in the middle, uh, toward the back. And every week I was preaching, she was relatively new there, tears were just coming down her face the whole service, the whole time I'm preaching. And I remember thinking, my preaching is not that bad. I mean, <laughs> it can't be that bad. After three or four weeks of this, I finally, I walked up to her, and I said to her, I said, I notice that you're very emotional uh, during the services. And I said, why why is that? And she said, I've never felt like I had a place or I had a home. And every Sunday morning when I come here, I feel like I'm home. And all of a sudden, God is touching my heart, and he's building in me a love and a relationship with these people. 
And I finally found home. Home is different, folks. Even when the Apostle Paul uses um, the term, terminology of home, he talks about being at home in the body with the Lord. I won't read the whole passage. You can read it yourself. Uh, the first 10 verses of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if you want to read it, you can. It says, um, he, he starts by talking about being uh, uh, in, present in the body and away from the Lord. So he's talking about a physical reality. There is distance there. But then later he talks about the fact that when we're at home in the body, and then he talks about being at home in the body. He says, basically, we're doing the bidding of the Lord. We're doing... But then he says, when we depart from this body, we go to be home with the Lord. What's he saying there? He's saying, you're never not at home. I'm going to be at home for eternity. And it doesn't start when I die. It starts now. That's what the apostle is saying. We can be at home with the Lord in the body. We can be at home without any of the, the distance or the division or anything when we finally go to be with the Lord for an eternity. And it's a great place to be. I love being home. And when people say, where's that? I say, wherever. You can ask me where I'm from. I can give you all four of those answers, which is fine because they're, they're legitimate. We can respond to all of them. But ultimately, where home is, is my relationship with Christ and God himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit saying, we're going to set up a boat with you so you'll never be distant. You'll never feel distant. You'll never feel abandoned. You'll never be removed away from my presence or my ability to be, um, uh, to be working my will in you, in your heart and soul. And I see that played out not only in the Old Testament with with Moses and with David, though he wandered around and was pursued by Saul for so long. And all these people in the Old Testament we talked about, all these prophets that really didn't have a place. I mean, you know, they really didn't. None of them, their places were kind of innocuous, and we never know where they died or where they settled in. We only know that Elisha's bones, somebody threw in a cave and a body hit it, and the dead body became alive. So that's about all we know about the prophets, you know, on that uh, front. So they're traveling around, but they're very much at home. They're right in the middle of the Lord's will. And the apostles, they were traveling about, and they probably never returned to Galilee. They went everywhere else, but they were always at home. And we see the same thing today. So... um, this is being televised, so I can't really uh, mention some specifics here, but I will say that I was in a country, it's a very big country, and all of you are wearing clothes from there right now, and uh, there's more people there than anywhere else in the world, so I'll just say that, but, uh, and there's a couple ladies here that speak the language uh, that, are, that are with us right now. Um, but, uh, so I was there, and I met with um, four groups for the very first time, I brought together four different leaders from four different groups. They were all free Methodist background groups, but they'd kind of developed their own ministries in their own way in their own regions. And that was, it made perfect sense because, you know, in countries where the Christians are persecuted very highly, it's good to be separate in some ways. So then you don't have all the information on your mobile phone or whatever for everybody else. And there's a little bit of anonymity. One point I said, would you all like to get together? I would, I would like to introduce you to one another. And so, so we met at a, a very secretive place. See, the cameras everywhere in this place. And so we needed to be really secret. And the best way to be secret was to be in 
a very crowded public place. So day one was in a train station. Uh, day two was at a McDonald's. Yes, they're there too. Okay. And as we were, uh, as we were together in, in, uh, in, this, in one of these settings, I was asking the people, I said, so tell me about your ministry. And everything was very secretive with person one. We got to person two, and it was secretive. But, but God has been doing all these great things in this ministry, and lots of people coming to know the Lord. And I'm hearing miracle, miraculous work that's happening in that group. And the same thing with uh, person three. Person four, it was so odd because I was so accustomed to everything being private and secretive. And, you know, you can't broadcast on airwaves, you know, the Christian message. You can't put up billboards for your stuff. You can't distribute flyers that you're having a worship service or a, or a picnic at uh, Audubon Park at 11 o'clock. Uh, announcement number two. So, uh, reminder number two. So, I'm talking to this person, and I said, so tell me about your ministry. And, uh, and it was hilarious. I mean, the guy takes out the glossiest, most nicely produced, I couldn't read it because it was in a different kind of script than I'm accustomed to reading, but he took out this glossy thing. It was about 35 pages. It was like a, it was like a promotional brochure for kids' camps and, and adult retreat things. There was a marriage uh, conference that they had, and they said they distributed 10,000 of these, and they had shopping carts, and they'd take them all over the towns, and, and they would distribute them. And then he was talking about how they had their speakers, and they would set it up in a park, and they would have these services, and hundreds or thousands of people would come to these events. And, you know, I'm listening to all this, and I just stopped him, and I just said, wait, wait, wait. And he showed pictures of, with him in it, and there's thousands of people. And I said, I'm confused. I said, there's got to be a story here. How can you do this in this particular country? Well, he said, it's a long story, but he, he said... And I'll try and be very brief here. But um, so he told me. He said, uh, "Well, in uh, in our place, in our state, province, whatever you would want to call it, um, in our region, we were doing, we were really growing, and the and the Lord was blessing our ministry, and lots of people were coming to faith." And he said, "They'd put me in jail because of it." So I was in jail. He said, "The first time it was just a week or two. The second time it was for about four months." And he said, "The third time they really wanted to." do away with me, so they put me in and said I was going to be in long term, uh, and they said that may mean several years. It could be six or seven or eight years because they'd been, well, so what he was doing is he goes into this penitentiary, and, uh, and guess what's there? The opportunity to share Jesus with people. So he starts talking to people about the Lord, and he starts sharing his food. They were given rationed amount of food, but he would give half of his food away, and so he's losing weight. He was getting thin. Uh, somehow his son got a, he owned one child who was 15 years old. His son found out that he was kind of wasting away and, and wrote a letter to his father and said, D- you know, please don't starve yourself to death trying to help other people. But uh, anyway, so that letter, and it was kind of confiscated, and uh, it went to the warden of the prison. And the warden saw what was going on, and he thought, you know, we have to stop this guy from doing this. So he was telling me, he was explaining, he said, I was in... Uh, I was in block one, and they, he said, he sent me to block five. And I said, what's block five? That's where all the murderers and the worst, most physically violent criminals are, is in block five. He said, if he sent me to cell block five, they were sure that they, I would be killed. He said, because, but we'd have, you know, we'd had miracles, and people who were sick were being made well, et cetera. So he says, I go to cell block five. 
And the guard there had heard that some people had been healed in the other one. He said, my, my wife has been sick for seven or eight years. And could you please pray for her? And he said, so I prayed for her. And he went home that day and she was healed. She was miraculously better. So the, uh, the, the, basically the guard there let him have Bible studies for the people in cell block five. And a lot of these people are getting saved. Well, the warden, the head of the whole prison, found out about it. And he was really upset because if he found out that, that you know, there are Christians kind of taking over the... Uh, that's, that's the reason he's there is to stop this, not to increase it. And so the warden called him in and said, why are you doing this? I mean, he had a conversation with him. And he said, he, talked, he told the story about the prodigal son. And he talked about how early in the church after the, after the Bible was written, many missionaries came to that particular country. They went eastward and landed in that country. He said, and some people accepted Christ as their Savior, but many people rejected, and most of those missionaries were killed. And he said, this country is the prodigal son. And he said, God wants to bring these people back. And guess what he did? He led the warden to the Lord. And then the warden ended up getting Bibles and distributed to all the blocks. And this guy went from place to place to place, one block to the other, to lead Bible studies. And he was leading people to the Lord. It was great. And, and finally, the head of the province there uh, found out about this. He said, we're going to put an end to this. So he found out everything that had happened, all the process. So you know what he did? He told the warden, he said, I want you to get that guy out of my prison, one of those free Methodist guys, and everybody else that we have arrested, get them out and don't bring them back. And so he said, so we do whatever we want, wherever we want. <laughs> now, the reason I tell you that story, where was he at home? Everywhere. And if we're truly in love with Jesus and desiring to do his will, we will never be away from home because God himself will make him his home in us. Even if we've been rejected, despised or persecuted, abandoned by our parents, divorced by a spouse, whatever the thing is, we don't have to be away from home. We can always be with the Lord. I want you to stand with me. We're going to close in prayer. <clears throat> Our gracious Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that you are with us and you provide an opportunity for those who come to you by faith to have a whole new kind of understanding of home that we never have to be away. And I just remember how I felt so away from home and in another country until you reminded me that you were with me and, and you really truly made that our home because you were with us. And I give you thanks, Lord, for that. So I pray, God, that every one of us here, through the course of our lives, uh, we celebrate the fact that you are in us and with us. If we are walking, it tells us, it's a qualifier, if we love you and do your commands, that you would come and make your home with us. And so, Lord, right now, uh, there are some that are going to pray with me right now, just, uh, Lord, I... I love you, and I want to follow you in your will. I want to do what you ask of me. And then, God, I pray that you would make your home in me, and you would make me at home wherever you send me. I give you thanks and praise, Lord. We all do. 
In the precious name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Would you turn to somebody before you head out and just bless them and say, welcome home? Would you do that? Okay. <laughs>